Matthew chapter 2. Visitors from the east. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And above that time, some wise men or royal astrologers from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. This is kind of neat, because the idea of the wise men, first of all, there were not three. Just in case you were wondering. Everybody thinks, you know, that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, um, define how many kings there really were or wise men. It doesn't. It's just a good song. That's it. There's no theology in that. There's no proof. So just in case you were thinking there's three, there weren't. We don't know what the number is. Nobody does. Also, from the east, where could that be? This is where some things came into light this week as I was taking a look at some resources and... Uh, I always thought the East, it could be like the, uh, I never really thought Middle East. I thought more Orient, more um, in the Philippine area, whatever, just coming up in that area. I was, I was wondering, anything East, keep going farther. It could be anywhere East, right? Didn't know. Did it take them two years to get there? Why two years? You'll find out in a few minutes. Um, so what's with these wise men? I figured out, I found out that they're most likely from Arabia which is not that, that far, but if you're walking or cameling, it's probably a lot farther. Um, but the idea of the East, the Jewish culture would understand the East better than we would. So we always have to take a look at scriptural texts in context. What would the people that this is written to, how would they understand these words, the terminology, the phrases, uh, their geography, their culture? Um, those have to be looked at every time you explore any text in scripture. Really, really, really important. We've been doing that a lot here at Hope Fellowship. It's been fun. So how would they, in the, the Jewish person at that time, they would see the, uh, the Arabian deserts, the peninsula, uh, such as what is common modern day Saudi Arabia today, Yemen, Oman, United Emirates, uh, Kuwait, Iraq, Jordan, all that. That would be considered to the east. And so the, these people could have come from there easily. But what couple clues can we find that shows us where they probably really, really did come from. Because, uh, again, there's been arguments of where they would have come from, but we've been given clues in Scripture of figuring this out. Strong indicators that these wise men came from the region is linked to the types of gifts they brought Jesus in Matthew 2, 11. It says here, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. They then opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I did not know this, but much gold was mined in Arabia. Ton of gold, filthy rich gold, tons of gold. Uh, the Queen of Sheba got her gold from that area. Like it's, there's so much gold there that that's one of the key generous gifts. And then later we find out that the other two gifts, frankincense and myrrh, uh, are mined from trees that are coming right from southern Arabia. That's, that's where they got their stuff from. That was commonly grown back then. So just kind of neat little links. The whole sermon is not going to be science and where did it really come from and all that bit. But this is kind of cool to connect the dots that I never saw connected. Then there's another connection to the Old Testament uh, regarding prophecy. To trace the origins of these wealthy wise men back to Arabia, Isaiah 60 speaks to prophetic future glory of Israel. And this is really cool. See if you can catch this with me. In Isaiah 60, remember, this is hundreds of years before Christ. Hundreds. Arise, Jerusalem, 
Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. Glory over you. Maybe it could be a link to the star. Who knows? All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come and see your radiance. Interesting. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Three gifts. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Ephrah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. Really cool connection from hundreds of years before. This is just one of the many prophecies. If we take a look at all the prophecies that uh, foretold Christ's coming, you can't make that stuff up. It's real. Nobody's that smart to historically begin writing all these things, and then it actually, most of it, all of it actually, has come true, or at least is able to be pointed at. Especially when Jesus came out of Egypt. Because there was a prophecy that he would come out of Egypt. Well, how's he going to get to Egypt? Well, Herod's going to try and kill him. So they have to escape to Egypt, and then he comes out of Egypt later. Like, it's really cool how all the story is woven together that nobody can manipulate. It's a powerful picture. I want to read this to you. In 160 AD, a Palestinian Christian named Justin Martyr recorded a conversation with a Jew named Trifo. The conversation in a book Form, in book form called uh, Dialogue with Trifo, the Jew, which still survives today, includes these words inscribed by Justin. The wise men from Arabia came to Bethlehem and worshipped and offered to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The location of Arabia is mentioned as a fact in Justin Martyr's writings in five different places. Such information regarding the Arabian origin of the wise men also is asserted to Tertullian in 155 to 240 AD and Clement of Rome, Pope from 88 to 89. This, is, this goes way, way back. Now, these guys obviously traveled a great distance. It's also interesting that they ended up in Bethlehem but their first call was not Bethlehem. These guys were smart. They were wise. They, they studied not only astrology, astronomy. They studied history. They studied um, basic cultures, the, especially the Jewish culture. They knew something was coming. They had read the prophecies. And when they came to see Herod, to say, hey, where's this King Jesus? They did not catch the connection or... They missed the connection or ignored it, assuming, hey, one of great royalty, wouldn't the entire nation assume it'll be in the royal city? That's why they went there. And Herod was shocked. And what's interesting, all the Jewish leaders, as soon as Herod said, hey, what's with this prophecy? Oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, what do you want to know? Well, where's he supposed to be born? Oh, Bethlehem. You knew this? Yeah. We just ignore it. We don't really think it's going to happen. Like, all the Jewish leaders knew exactly. And so when they came and they told Herod, Herod sent the wise men and said, go to Bethlehem. And they found him. It's, it's crazy. Like, if you start to think through the politics of this and through the religious leaders, the very people that God sent his son to wanted nothing to do with his coming. 
And then when he declared who he was, they rejected him and wanted to kill him and eventually did. Absolutely crazy. So these wise men came a great distance to show worship, to show homage, and to be part of history. They, for them, whatever was put onto their hearts was pretty exciting. Well, let's bring this to Jesus himself. Jesus himself draws near to us in order to embody all of humanity so that he could live his life out the way we are to live. Then he gave his life for us. Jesus did not come just to dwell among us, but to dwell in us. That is the good news. Christ lives in us, not just with us, like a buddy who can come and go, but he literally dwells in us as us, as one. We're not him, he's not us, but we are in union. That's the word the scriptures use, that we're in union with Jesus. It's a powerful image. In John 1, love this. This is, this is the picture of pouring together the idea of what the wise men were doing, because they, they understood science, they understood history, culture, they understood the stars, that if something big's going to happen, it's going to happen in the stars. Well, who created that? In the beginning was the Word. This is John chapter 1. The word, Word, is capital. It's not referring to the book. Okay? This is not the Word of God per se, capital W. These are the writings we've put into a Bible that reveal God's Word to us, but to say this is the Word, capital W, you cannot do that. Because Jesus is the only Word of God. <laughs> I had one person say, you know, uh, I believe the infallible, um, correct word of God. Uh, and when he was 18, he grew a beard. Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's, he is the word of God, the, the living word of God. That's why this is capitalized. And John got this, the author. He's the one who knew the heart of Jesus probably better than any of the other disciples. Here we go. In the beginning was the word. Beginning of all creation, everything was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's showing equality of Jesus with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They are one. He was in the beginning with God, the true light, which enlightens some people. Huh. That's not what it says. The true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Now, all the other Gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, they deal with the story, the Christmas story. This is John's Christmas story. This is John's Christmas story. This is how he's introducing the coming of Christ. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This is a declaration that Jesus himself is the creator. God created everything through Christ. Christ Jesus created the world. And where did he do it? In himself. So how did Jesus, who created the world, in him, enter himself? Not sure, but however it works, it worked. Let's keep going. He came to his own, the Jews at the time, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the word became flesh. There it is. There's the birth. And dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Not judgment, anger, and condemnation. If anybody ever tells you anything different, run from them. They're lying. God is love. Jesus is just like God. They are one. They are the same essence. It's huge. All right. So what child is this? He is the generous giver. This is who Jesus is. As God gave his son, look at the pictures in scripture of Jesus giving to us. By the way, if Christ lives in us, and we are one with him, we have the very nature of Jesus. And there's nothing he can do about it, except wake up to it, believe it, and start to live out that nature that already is in you. Watch this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God, and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He gave. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, you've been given a giving nature. And this part here is really cool. Peace has already been given to you. You don't have to beg God for something that's already yours. There's a number of things I begged God for growing up. Even as a pastor, when I was first pastoring, and I spent a lot of time at the front of the church begging God for some key things, like forgiveness. That was my big one. I just never really believed I was fully forgiven. I thought I was forgiven up to the point I asked, and then I wasn't sure if I, if I asked right or not. So I had to ask again. You know, for that thing I did, can you forgive me again? I'm really, 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 really sorry. And just, it was constant guilt. Just, it's consuming. It's terrible. I felt guilty for things I didn't do. Forgive me for that too. <laughs> it's just crazy. And yet, he has given us his peace. Will you believe the peace of Christ lives in you? Instead of praying for peace to come, say, Father, the peace you've already given me, wake me up to that fact. Show me. I want to experience, I want to feel your peace. Prove it. Great word. God can handle that. You're allowed to challenge him. More on giving. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Huh. He is your strength, not begging for more strength, as in strength and strength. He is your strength. And everything he does, he's the one doing it through you. Anything that's produced by him, that's going to have great kingdom value. Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hmm. This one sure needs to be challenged in the church at large. Because many leaders come to be served. They really do. I'm in this position, serve my role. I've traveled in Mexico, and I hear, I hear it's very much uh, the same in uh, 
uh, South America where the role of a pastor or the title of clergy is instant revered, instantly respected. In Africa, same thing. Once you have the title, you're supposed to instantly respect that. Um, don't care about your heart, don't care about your attitude, but they, they can call and say, give me a place to stay, blah, blah, blah. It's crazy. We, today, people say that here. We go, what? <sighs> Click. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nuts. We get those phone calls. But here Jesus models true leadership coming to serve, not be served. And then he gives his life. We want to preserve ours. We want to preserve our reputation. We want to preserve it all. And yet Jesus is saying, live with an open hand. Give. Give it. Let me take care of things. John 13 says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. So we're going to pull up buckets. And uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there are some churches that really do a foot washing service. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, the symbolism of a leader doing this and becoming a servant, because to wash someone's feet, was, you have to be a servant to do that. They, they, you don't get the Lord of the house to do that. The servant does that job. Yet Jesus did it on the night he was betrayed. Washed his disciples' feet, totally messing up with their paradigm of what they thought leadership was. Jesus did that a lot, didn't he? He messed up paradigms. He totally flipped the tables, literally in one place, flipped the tables on what people perceived uh, who he should be and who God was. He corrected their perspectives on who they thought God was. What else? John 3.16. I love this. You, most of you have heard this verse before, but we're going to read 17. You've got to read the two together. This is critically important to help you understand the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father, the heart of the Holy Spirit. For this is how much God loved the world. Okay? Not believers, not Christians. He loved the world. Everyone. I see signs that go up at protests, uh, especially when there's a gay protest or something like that, of hate Christians. I, I'm, they, they spout out hate, calling themselves Christians. I'm mad because they're using Christ's name to spread the very thing he's against. And they have these signs, God hates this, God hates you. Uh, and the list goes on. I'm thinking, are you guys kidding? Don't you even read the most popular version of the Bible that's in almost every sports game, like John 3.16? Like, there it is. He loves the world. There is nobody in this world he does not love. That's critically important. It's our judging that's the problem, not the love of God. Huh. For God, for, for this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. I love this part. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. This is what Christmas is about. This is good news. If it's not good news for everybody, it's not good enough news. Really, really important to remember this. He did not come to judge and condemn. Each time we do that, we do not reflect the heart of the Father. 
when we judge and condemn other people, no matter how much. And it's a tough lesson, but I'm watching the older folks that are growing in faith. I'm seeing compassion, gentleness, and love of Christ come to them much easier than younger people. Uh, We're we're still focused on, on judging and having filters. That's the way we're trained in our culture. But as we unlearn the judging and discover grace, we see the authentic love of Christ for everybody. We've covered that one a couple times here. Back to the wise men. They were watching the stars. They were the ones who had an idea something was going on in the sky. When certain stars would align, something big was supposed to happen. It was prophesied. I don't don't get it. I don't understand the science of it. But they did, and they showed up. Nobody else was looking. Just these guys. That was it. They followed the star from their homelands. They were from a culture that placed value in the night sky and had developed a study of the stars and planets to a fine art. It had specific meanings to those who took time to notice. The wise men believed all in the heavens were connected and had special meanings with events that took place on earth. That's what they believed. So here you have a star, something pretty significant. Here, N.T. Wright writes this. When something important was happening on earth, you could expect to see it reflected in the heavens. Alternatively, a remarkable event along the stars and planets must mean, they, they thought, a remarkable event on earth. So when they saw that happening, they knew something big was going to happen on earth. There was a connection there. Don't write off the study of the stars. I grew up in a denomination where it was all evil. Nope, nope, it's all evil of the devil. You couldn't, couldn't, even, couldn't even look at it. They, they told you what to totally avoid, only to find out there's more grace in this world that we ever thought of in compartments we never considered grace to be in there. Don't, don't lock yourself in. Stay open. Let the Holy Spirit be the one to guard and protect what you're to take in and believe and not. He gives you discernment to discard things that are not true and receive things that are. It is good news. Look at this. Here's a connection for all things. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms through Jesus. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. This is where I, I can't help but see Christ connected to everything and every single human. Everything, every animal, you name it. Because Christ himself holds it together. There is no separation, there is no distance Does the object recognize the presence or the glue holding them together? Probably not. You and I get the chance and the gift of faith to believe and realize, hey, we're held together by Christ. That is cool. As soon as he ceases to hold it together, it ceases to exist. Everything, every single thing is held together. The connection. And these guys saw it. They saw it in the stars. They saw the connection. See, the wise men were seekers, and so was Jesus. The wise men were fulfilling a prophecy from Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. These guys sought with all their heart. They didn't know what they were after. Then they found this. 
Jesus also seeks. Yep, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the lost coin and the lost sheep and all that. Well, Luke 19, 9, 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I saw a Facebook post the other day of a young man who was lost, missing. A couple days later, found. Those who loved him and knew him were missing him. Something was amiss. He was missing. Funny, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. How many are lost out there? Many. But in order to be lost, it has to have an owner. There has to be a daddy. There has to be an owner. Like the lady with the coin, the lost coin. The coin never lost its value in the parable. And it always had an owner. We are all children of God. Every human. Not all believe. Not all are Christians. But everybody has been created by God. We are his children. Paul said that to, on Mars Hill to a whole bunch of non-believers. We are all children of God. Even as some of your poets have written. <laughs> like, it's, it, the love of God goes farther than I ever, ever dreamed of. Well, the emotions were getting pretty high for these guys as they showed up at the house. And behold, the star they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. Do you think that means they were happy? Or, yay, we found it. They were like going nuts with joy. Great joy, it said. Look at that. Exceedingly great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This um, uh, nativity here has wise men with their gifts, right? It's okay. You can relax. It's not biblical. <laughs> In the sense that they were, they were not at the stable the night Christ was born. They did not show up then. They showed up a time later at a house. Obviously, Mary and Joseph had stayed and they were living in Bethlehem at the time. The reason the nativity shows the imagery is not to show they were there that night, although we've jumped to that conclusion many, many, many times. It's to include the key characters of the story. This is about story, communicating what has happened. And story is critical in many, many cultures especially in the Jewish culture. But just so you know, to correct some of the facts, they went to a house, and that's kind of how it went. A little later, we have this story. You're going to like this. In Luke chapter 2, some guy has been told by God, you're not going to die till you see the Messiah. Oh, really? But obviously he was convinced. Somehow he believed God had told him he would not die. Now, I find that interesting because there were so many prophecies about Jesus coming that even the Jewish leaders were ignoring, but this guy had a revelation. God showed him something. So in chapter 2, um, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, 
If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice according to what was required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man, a very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm, imagine that. And he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms, praised God, saying, Now, Lord, now I can die in peace. As you've promised me, I've seen the Savior. You've given me, sorry, that you've given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. I love those words. I can die in peace, but that's not the one you're going to focus on. As you promised me. He says, I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. Who else said something like that? The angels said that to the shepherds. This is for all people. Good news. It's prefaced by saying the man was filled with the Holy Spirit speaking the truth of God directly. And guess who got to hear it? Mary and Joseph. Joseph and Mary were amazed what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel, and it will be their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy to many others. Thus, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce every soul. And it goes on with another woman named Anna, who is also nearby. But here, this guy prophesies. It's for the nations, for all people. And two years later, within that time-ish, and the reason we think it's in the two years is because Herod found out he was tricked by the wise men. Because when they went to see Herod, Herod said, hey, go, what do you mean about this baby? Uh, they find out what happened. Yeah, go to, go to Bethlehem and come back and tell me so I can go and worship him. Kings don't worship babies. They don't. They control their throne. In fact, Herod was one of the most jealous ones. He'd killed many individuals, relatives, just because he heard a threat. He was a terrible, wicked man. So they took off. They ended up going back another way after they met the baby. But it was the, when Herod found out he'd been tricked, he said, Go and kill every young baby under two years old. So we get this little window guessing of how long. He probably added on a bit of time just to make sure he'd really get this kid. Who knows? Um, but that's how he came to the time that he was in a house under two years. And then he had to take off to Egypt, as the story goes. Matthew 28. So now this Jesus grows up. He's about to be taken up. He says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
I used to believe this is the, what's called the Great Commission. You've heard of that term. There isn't a Great Commission. The word commission, Great Commission, it's not in the Bible. It's, it's not in the original texts. We've been led to believe this idea, this word go, means you have to leave this spot and go there and go make disciples. It does not say make converts either, does it? Go and make converts. Get people to say the prayer. <laughs> Jesus never said that. This word go literally means as you are going, in your working, in your uh, family time, as you are going, make disciples. Live. Be. Be my conduit. It's very different than what I grew up believing and told what it meant until you, all you got to do is look it up. We, we have the internet now. It's all there. No pastor can lie to you. <laughs> you can Google. What did they say? Let's check that verse out. Oh, that's not in the Greek. You know, it's really funny. So I, that's why I want to point to scriptures a lot more because it's not just about the spin of the teacher. The spin has to be confirmed in scripture and the Holy Spirit confirming it. This is good news. So what child is this? He is the one who is worthy of worship by all people. The wise men came to worship, and they brought gifts. He is the one true Savior of the entire world. Nobody makes him Savior. You can't make Jesus Lord. You, know, you do know that, right? That's impossible to make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. You don't make him that. He is. Recognize his Lordship. That's more accurate. He is also the one who was born to give. And he gave his life to all of us. He's given us forgiveness. It's already given, happened at the cross. And he's given us actual life, everlasting life. And it starts now. Not when we say a prayer. We have the life of Christ now. I used to think, well, then when I die, then my everlasting life begins. No. I'm one with Jesus now. Anyway, it's been good news. A lot of unlearning in my history, but a lot of really great learning. I've got a lot more questions now, which is good, and that's okay. I'm finding some answers to some of those questions that, I, that are new to me, and I'm challenging the unquestioned answers that I've been given growing up, and that is leading me to a much deeper and more exciting faith. It's pretty cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your gift of your son. Thank you for the season of giving, which is a complete reflection of who you are and who we actually are, even though some of us don't realize it. None of us are true misers. We are actually, at the core, very generous. So Father, may we be generous with love, patience, kindness, gentleness to all people that we meet. May you be our wisdom to know how to act at any given moment. Thank you for this morning. And thank you that you've put us in a place where we can live and freely worship in a country that allows this kind of freedom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.